0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and
1: restrictions apply. How's it going? And welcome to episode 83 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. And of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam. Howe. you can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hasting, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hasting Kevin and Kevin, I'm, I'm excited. I put this out on Twitter already, but I'm excited to be able to say this out loud to somebody more than my cat. We have launched our pre or advanced signups for our 2023 listener leagues. We've got signups ready to go. It's a pin tweet on our our Twitter handle. Got more than a handful of signups already. So that's really exciting. I do want to say, though, I haven't seen you sign up yet, so I'm a little disappointed.
2: Yeah, I haven't signed up for anything yet other than the one best ball I've done. I'm kind of holding off. I had visitors to the island this week and the four days of no baseball actually while on Sunday and we realized it was happening was disappointing, but then we took advantage and had a great time all around the island the last four days. And now as we're recording during game one of the World Series and with the trip to Arizona coming up next week. Sorry to bring that up, Adam. (laughs) It has Uh, to be
1: done. (laughs) Yeah.
2: will probably be another week for me, week and a half. It'll probably be after I get back from Arizona before I really dive in. But yes, I, I, I will be on that list.
1: Are you not doing a draft in Arizona? Are you doing an auction again?
2: I, I have not seen the signups for those yet. And I was considering doing a different draft. I've done the Mm -hmm. auction there the last two seasons and I was going to see if somebody else wanted the spot. I don't know how high in demand those are, but if they need someone, I will definitely do that auction, but I'll do a different, I think I'm going to change it up a little bit unless they need somebody to fill the one of the snakes.
1: Sure. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, like I said, we got more than a handful. The, we're planning on doing our first draft in November. I think the date I put on there is November 5th. I just put the fifth of every month through through the off season, and But really, that first one's just going to be as soon as both the NFBC platform turns over after the World Series and we fill it. So when both of those things happen, it'll be good to go. So it'll be a good mix of former guests, current listeners... And some who have participated in last year's leagues and a handful of newbies as well that I saw come through the signup sheet. So I'm excited to get that going and to start actually utilizing a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. And granted, stuff we've talked about so far, we focus on best balls, focused on draft and holds. We're going to be talking about some pretty late darts, dart throws in this episode as well. And So maybe it doesn't apply directly to these 12 team fab leagues as much, but it will be, these are going to be players that at least we're talking about today that we're going to be considering in those first couple fab runs of the year. So these are not terrible players to keep in mind for the final rounds of these fab leagues that if you're getting in there early, it doesn't hurt to take those dart throws in those last two or three picks.
2: Definitely. I already have my lists going where, if a name comes up that I hadn't thought much about, just jot it down (laughs) so that I can look more into them as the off season progresses and and not forget about them.
1: All right. like I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of players that really have a deep leak focus and who better to bring on to the pod than somebody who talks about them on a regular or we'll start talking about them on the regular very soon. We are joined by a very special guest, Christopher Weber, most affectionately referred to as Schwebzy pretty much everywhere probably at home as well. I don't know that for sure. You can correct me, Chris, if that's not true. You can follow him on the Twitter at SchwebZ. That'll be linked in the show notes. You can banter with him on the List Discord if you're a PL Plus member. And you can listen to him and Jordan White go back and forth about place players that only those in the deepest of leagues would know or even care about on their podcast, In the Deep, which will be returning to regular production next weekend. The, the last fact should come in handy just the fact that he talks about all these deep league players in today's uh, today's discussion when we talk about some possible diamonds in the rough we might be able to find those late rounds of drafts but before we get into all that chris just thanks for uh, thank you thanks for making your way back behind the mic to join us today hi friends I'm always happy to be here. Always happy to uh, pop
3: onto the pod. I And I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to knock off the rust, knock off the cobwebs before we make our triumphant return to being the world's number one podcast about rambling. That also happens to include some fantasy baseball stuff (laughs) that's Uh, an
1: that's an actual category when i look for like those rankings of podcasts and i'm always impressed to see you guys up there
3: yeah on the on the apple podcast charts of rambling podcasts that also talk about fantasy
1: baseball it's literally just us yeah number one by default but number one nonetheless number one in our hearts as <laughs> another famous radio personality might have said at one point i am looking forward to your first episode back i got a glimpse jordan mentioned that there might be a musical number that you guys are working on so i'm looking forward to uh, to hearing that as your triumphant return behind the mic on your own podcast so any can you give me any preview onto what that might be oh. <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> we no we've we've discussed how we how when you're doing a podcast that's definitely, Based around like pickups during the season, off-season content is always a question, right? Where we're currently discussing what guests we want to have on, and you've actually given us an idea. This is a this sneak peek behind the scenes for the listeners, where and maybe a preview. We are we every year we do our draft with uh, me, you guys, Jordan, and uh, Pete from uh, what's the Keeper name Cut. of Pete podcast? Yep, Keeper, Chad Cut. and Pete. Yep. Chad and Pete. Yeah. So we're thinking of doing our own draft this year. Where and this is something you've suggested to me before for other things, we're going to just axe the first two hundred and fifty players in the ADP pool and we're gonna do a full draft. Actually we might be reaching out to one or both of you guys to help out with that at some point. That'd be fun. So that, that, that is one of the things that we'll be we'll be doing upon re entering the podcast world.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that. I'm even if I don't get picked up for that, I'm doing I'm gonna start as soon as we hang up here, I'm gonna start that no, I'm gonna go to bed and then I will consider doing the research for that. That'd, that'd be really interesting. All right, let's get, we got a lot of good players, I think, that we have all listed out that we're going to talk about. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some of the guys that came through in different ways. We're going to give our own superlatives, if you will, to some of the 2022 players of note that maybe no, there were big surprises in the areas in which they produced. And so we're going to then look ahead toward 2023, guess players that could fill that same role during the 2023 season. But before we do that, we do have a couple of, I have a couple of notes that came across the desk this week that I wanted to get your guys' take on there. we got three items here. Kevin, I'm going to start with you in St. Louis. Adam Wainwright, he signed for one more year. He's not ready to give it up. He wants his retirement tour, if you will. And with the more balanced schedule, he should be able to hit pretty much every team. (laughs) So he should be getting all those gifts. He should be getting all the applauses, whatever that, that may be. Entitled, and with him though, the Cardinals will not be seeing the return of pitching coach Mike Maddox. He's stepped down as the team's pitching coach, also hitting coach Jeff Albert. He's decided not to return to the team, so you know with the return of Wainwright, they do lose the two-headed monster of their pitching pitching staff or sorry their coaching staff. Are you more interested in finding out where these coaches end up or who comes in and fills those roles in St. Louis?
2: Really, neither one too much. Uh, I, I'm kind of being hypocritical here because as a Royals fan, I was pretty excited about what happened with their offense when they made their change at hitting coach during the 2022 season. As a whole, the lineup did perform perform much better after the change was made. However, as we have talked on recent episodes and over the past couple of seasons I'm putting my faith in projections. So I'm not doing any adjustments based on this. Uh, We keep talking about unless we see a big something that's really going to affect playing time, then I'm not really adjusting things too much for individual players. If you are going to use projections, then you want to try to take your biases out, not add a bias like this in. Really, I try not to pay too much attention to it.
1: It's really, it's hard not to, especially with what we saw in St. Louis. I'll use Jordan Montgomery as the perfect example, leaving New York, coming to St. Louis and the changes that they were able to help him make and then show uh, on the mound while with the Cardinals. Chris, how much emphasis do you put on the coaching staff when you're considering these fringe fantasy players? And I, the better example I use as well is like Brett Strom when he left Houston, obviously what he did with the Houston pitching staff while there, then quote retired. And then Arizona gave him a whole bunch of money and he went over to Arizona and look the strides that Zach Gallen was able to make, even after the injury concerns from the year prior, Merrick Kelly, obviously, and you have to assume that Strom had an impact in these guys. You're not going to hit everybody. You're not going to touch everybody, but the fact that he was able to do, that much with those guys, at least that's a name. I don't know if Mike Maddox or Jeff Albert on the hitting side are those types of names. But if you are looking at a team that's adding a very well-known or a coach of some kind of stature who's done something somewhere else, how much are you placing emphasis on that? So
3: for me, this is yes, but because it, it's an important part of the puzzle. But one coach doesn't make a pitching staff. One coach doesn't make a lineup. It requires organizational buy-in and it requires time. If a team, say the Pirates, were to bring on Mike Maddox, then we've already seen strides from the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching staff from 2021 to 2022. So that to me would indicate trend where they are clearly making strides in picking up the right people to lead their team, to have all their young guys take the next steps. Where I do put major emphasis is on the teams that have already demonstrated these strides and have already proven that from an organization standpoint, they're good at training and developing these specific things. If any of us had just really hammered like Guardians, Dodgers, Astros, pitchers over the last few years like how many breakouts have we had from those three teams over the last few years? If we jumped all the pitchers from their team up 15 or 20 ADP spots in our personal rankings, like we would have profited immensely knowing that we can look at like the Brent Strom thing as, and Gallen and Kelly, we can look at that as Gallen just returning to form and Ke- Kelly had sure. a fluky good bad year, or we can look at the Strom hiring and go, Oh, maybe they're onto something. And start to bump up guys a little bit. I'm probably going to be a little bit higher than the consensus on Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson this year, and hopefully be ahead of the curve there. But yeah, it's good to keep in mind like the organizational trends and seeing like who's really taking strides and developing their their whole approach to training and development.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything to back it up, but I think that if I move, the way I would look at it is I'm less less inclined to give a bump up to like rookies or very young pitchers when you see a pitch like a head of pitching a pitching coach change at the top as I am the Merrill Kellys I think that what they can what that individual can do to for veterans or even just guys that are middle of the road and all of a sudden they can make they have the ability to make a jump with new guidance but so much coming up through the system what like I, I agree. One guy doesn't do that for the entire organization.
3: The counterpoint to that is even Brent Strom couldn't do a thing with Madison Bumgarner, <laughs> Dallas Keuchel, and Zach Davies. Oops,
1: certain people are stuck <laughs> in their ways. <laughs> There's limits to his power. All right, let's we'll move on out of the situation in St. Louis. Uh, Chris, we're going to move over to Los Angeles or Los Angeles adjacent. The, uh, talking about the Angels real quick. So supposedly the Angels plan on being a little more aggressive or aggressive in general with player promotions this season. Jeff Zeverman pointed that out in, in, in a recent Mining the News article over at Rotographs via a Sam Bloom's article at The Athletic. The Angels haven't really been shy with their promotions per se. They just had some mixed results with the players that they have been bringing up. <clears throat> Joe Adele. If we are to assume there might be a surprise opening day roster spot on for the Angels who might you be speculating on from their system this is a tough
3: team there are so few players in that farm system that i can that that i would even give a second thought to if i heard that they were being promoted the one guy already played last year it's logan ohop if he plays i'm interested he's got standard league starting catcher potential in the bat very easily um, I actually like a broader zoomed out thing. I actually think we're at a point where like catcher is about to not be a very weak position. Like we, we the influx in catcher talent over the last like year and in the next year or two is is wild. We're about to have I don't know about a golden age of catchers, but maybe we'll <laughs> stop talking about it like such a, a black hole in our lineups every year. But other than Logan O'Hop, it's this isn't an org that has guys waiting in the wings. You mentioned that they haven't been shy about promotions in the past, and that's what got us to this point, because all of the guys worth promoting have already been promoted. Your Reed Detmers, your Brandon Marsh, who was then traded. Mickey Moniak was brought in, he he played immediately. Joe Adele plays he gets brought up over and over again and he strikes out over and over again. But pop-up prospects happen all the time. So maybe I wind up wrong here, but I'm really I'm not expecting any prospects in this system other than ohop to have any kind of impact in any sort of shallow league there there's always value to be found in deep leagues but there's really no names that jump out to me with all of this is with the caveat that if they trade Shohei Otani it will dramatically alter their farm system but that's the only thing that will really change my my thoughts here
1: yeah I look through the system as well Kevin and I agree with Chris like at least on the offensive side have you do you see anybody on the pitching side That could come in because they're going to have plenty of opportunity in that to mix and match that rotation beyond beyond Otani going every sixth day and Patrick Sandoval, if healthy. They have a lot of possible openings in that rotation or even possibly in their bullpen as well to kind of focus on some younger guys. Reed Detmers obviously has a spot as well. But is there anybody on that side that you notice or is this just too barren to worry about?
2: Yeah, not really. The last thing that Schwebcy brought up is exactly where I was going. I don't think the player we're looking for is currently in their organization. With a pending sale of the team, that may lead to a possible trade of Shohei Otani, among others. I think it would be somebody that, that they bring in, It would be the guy we're looking for. When you say pitching specifically, A a guy that I was a fan of for a long time, that's still only 26 years old, but he hasn't really done what we thought he could. Injuries have been a part of that, and we did not see him at all in 2022, and at Griffin Canning, possibly. But if he's healthy, we would expect him to be in the rotation anyway. It's not a new name. It's not a surprise. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's somebody that's currently in the organization.
1: Now, this is not a system that gets you too excited about the fact that they might be moving more aggressively. And a lot of teams are moving more aggressively now, especially with the added benefits of the possibility of rookie of the year. But I don't see anybody that's winning rookie of the year from the Angels coming up through 2023. All right, we've got one last note here. Of course, another note that I saw in Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News, Kevin, and he This one revolves around my Red Sox and their plan to spend on bullpen pieces this offseason. Bloom said that he's pretty sure that's where he's going to be a lot of his focus as far as spending money. So he's pretty confident that the closer for the Red Sox, the 2023 closer for the Red Sox isn't currently on the roster. You can combine that with the conversation I overheard overheard i heard i was listening to a podcast it's not really overhearing <laughs> it craig mish have he's that conversation he was having on the new triple play fantasy podcast the fantasy baseball beat which you guys should be all checking out if you haven't already a couple former guests of the show put together that that's a torres mike carter and then also carlos Marcano. they're doing a great job with that in the early going so highly recommend checking those guys out with that but they had a great conversation with craig mish and he mentioned that he has expectations with the Marlins will be in the mix for an experienced closer up there. Oh, maybe not as expensive as the one that Boston might be able to afford, but somebody with experience in general. I, I will say that with, the, with an asterisk only because this is pretty much what Mish said last year at this, at this time throughout this in, into December that he expected the Marlins to go out and grab somebody, maybe not a Jansen, but somebody with a little bit more experience. They obviously did what they did instead, but nobody knows the Marlins as well as Craig's. I'm going to take what he has to say as gospel until I, until proven otherwise. So regardless, are there any current free agent relievers out there that you may expect to land a closer role, whether it's in Boston or Miami?
2: It's always tough with a lefty. And I think there's still that stigma for some teams. And I think they, they can just be valuable, to use early in the game because you don't have as many of them in your bullpen, but will Smith has a club option for the, for the year. And I think it's like $15 million and we don't see these club options get picked up very often anymore, unless it's somebody they, that had one tacked onto a contract a few years back and they've really panned out to be a superstar. Typically these options aren't really picked up these days. So Will Smith is somebody with experience in the role of 37 saves just a year ago. Yeah, he does it with a little higher ERA than we like to see out of our closers. But he got the job done for Atlanta last season. So that's somebody I'd keep an eye on.
1: Chris, you see anybody else out there that fits the bill either as a high end closer option for Boston or just somebody with experience that Miami might be looking at?
3: I see red every time I think about the Red Sox 2021 closer situation. Sorry, 2022 closer situation.
1: (laughs) 21 wasn't much different. (laughs) No,
3: but in my AL only league, I spent large chunks of time with two to three Red Sox relievers on my team because I was just waiting, begging for them to make a decision. Just pick one guy. I honestly think that their 2023 closer is probably on the roster already. Between Hauk, Schreiber, and Whitlock, they should be able to find a closer. Though like those three guys all had what sub two seven five ERAs last year. They're all good. Now, maybe Schreiber has the leg up because both Whitlock and Hauk are potential starters, but I think they should like really it it's it, it was infuriating to me all year long that they weren't able to find a consistent closer out of that group, because they all pitched well for most of the year. I don't I expect them, if they're going to build up their bullpen, to focus more on bullpen depth so that they're not Having someone like Austin Davis in his career 5-6 ERA to throw 45 appearances, I feel like that's more important to them, getting more quality innings rather than 50 more elite innings. As for the Marlins, my guess there is that they go for the second tier of closers, and th- this hurts a little because he's a former Met, but I kind of feel like Rafael Montero might have entered that second tier of free agent closers with his performance this postseason he's pumping close to a hundred right now. Like that's very much not who he was as a prospect, but Mm -hmm. the Houston development machine has done wonders with him and he could be a lower budget team could target him as a closer this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him wind up with a team like the Marlins.
1: Yeah. And the names I'm looking at, where i'm keeping an eye on it will be the kenley jansen's i think kenley jansen's gonna have plenty of suitors he's going to find a spot where he's going to close again he hasn't closed the door on los angeles he's obviously a free agent after having some fun in atlanta but i could see boston going the same route that went long time ago where they felt like they really need to get the Kimbrel of old in jansen even if it's just for a one or two year deal as far as miami goes Taylor Rogers comes to mind, another lefty, obviously plenty of closing experience prior to being traded to Milwaukee. Uh, so I expect Taylor Rogers as a free agent to be looking for that opportunity that he can get that. He can continue to close out games, even if it's on a one-year deal. If Taylor Rogers can get a multi-year deal, by all means, he's going to take it. But I think he's going to be in a position where he's going to be looking for the best opportunity to showcase that he still he can still pitch. At the end of games, and Miami's gonna would be able to provide that to him, even as a lefty. All right, so a couple names you're always speculating on closers, especially if you're doing early drafts right now. So uh, a couple of names to consider there at the toward the end, or at least in the middle rounds for some of those options. And that's uh, that's gonna close it out for the news of this episode. We're gonna get into the main discussion here. The episode, like I said, we're gonna take one step back and two steps forward. We're gonna identify the surprises of 2022 while applying what we learned to finding the new versions of, or variants, if you will, of those types of players going into 2023 drafts. Before we do that, we are going to take this quick break. All right, we are back and we're ready to mesh the world of looking back and looking ahead. You're listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined as always by Kevin Hastings, and we are lucky enough to have with us our the co-host of the In The Deep podcast, Christopher Weber and... Chris, you and Jordan, like I mentioned earlier in, in the deep, you really focus on the guys that you're going to be fi- finding on the wire in most leagues. I believe you have a rule of you only talk about players that are 20% rostered or lower and I'm are using a specific page or a specific uh, format for that, like Yahoo, CBS, ESPN.
3: Yeah, we use the, what is it, Fantasy Pros aggregates ADP from a couple of different sites. So we use their numbers because they aggregate the most commonly used websites for for ADP.
1: Yeah, and that's good because obviously all of these sites have different, Roster construction, standard league sizes, stuff like that. So it's nice to be able to get a little piece of every, a lot of pieces of the pie all together. As you said, they aggregate that. And it's good to, it's good that you guys keep to that same, that kind of rule of thumb that I hear you guys talking all the time is like you get really mad that you're not able to talk about certain players anymore because of either the advice you're giving and people are catching on and then they're getting picked up. Um, but I guess that's a good thing, right? If you talk about sweet. the same. If you're talking about the same players week in and week out, maybe that's a sign we need to stop talking about those players in general. (laughs) But it is interesting to hear you guys react to when you can't talk to players any anymore. So when you guys are going into your in, into the new season of In the Deep, I'm assuming you've taken this time off or you will be taking the first couple episodes to reflect on what what happened in 2022. What we're going to talk about today, looking at some of the guys that kind of broke out in different ways in 2022. But when you are reflecting on your previous seasons, what are you hoping to do? gain out of that and how are you hoping to kind of utilize either the mistakes or the successes that you've had going into the next season
3: yeah we always try to analyze our years try to figure out where we went wrong where we can improve one thing that i'm particularly annoyed with myself about this year is i completely missed out on spencer strider it wasn't for lack of knowledge or paying attention like i mentioned him on the podcast a bunch of times i just never took the leap myself and i'm shocked like that I did that. So over on in the deep, we preached the three P's it's production potential and playing time. And I think this year I may have leaned a little bit too heavily onto the playing time aspect of things. And it made me miss out on guys who had huge potential, but maybe not necessarily the playing time yet. And it's about balance because you don't usually win unless you have some of those potential aces turn into aces. So Some talents are just so irrepressible that you have to jump on them early, even if they don't have the opportunity yet. And that's one of the things that I'm going to take away from this year is that I might need to be a little bit more aggressive on
1: some particularly star talents. Yeah, it's tough. We talk about that all the time. Just having to be, I think, Kevin, what's your term? Conservatively aggressive as you're making these pickups. What's hard about that, though, is like when you are aggressive and you pick up these guys there's a chance they're not going to start producing as soon as you pick them up. You're just hoping that they're going to make that turn a week, two or three weeks in. And now you're holding on to these guys. It's basically a stash, right? It's basically stashing them. Cause you're like, you have confidence that they're going to turn it around and, they, or they're going to turn it up. And you, now you're also not able to turn that roster spot and kind of pick up the next guy who might be turning it on or the guy after that, because you've got to focus on the guy that you picked up aggressively. And as soon as you drop that guy, um, because you want to turn it, then somebody else is going, it's just, it's mine. It's, it just,
2: (laughs) it's difficult. That's why I'm sitting here nodding when he brings up Spencer Strider. We talk about players like him every single episode in season on our show. We talk about how much we like them and the great thing about them is even if they're not doing what you hope they're going to do in the future yet they're still valuable right now and missed out on him completely. For all of that type of player that we're fans of I I didn't have him on any roster either.
1: I think I had him in one of my very late drafts so like my last draft of the season but the only other place i had spencer strider is we do a p val draft (laughs) with pitcher list every year and he was my last pick uh his i believe it was his fastball i got grabbed on a whim but that was only because the draft went into the season and so i got to see his like first start or his first appearance and i'm like all right this is, a yeah, I'm going to grab this pitch. That worked out okay. But that was pretty much the only time that I was able to grab him. I did grab him in my Dynasty League and then dropped him. I did the exact same thing, though. I picked him up off the wire. He didn't quite have that rule yet. I needed to keep turning that position, dropped him, and then the rest is history there. But we won't get into that. Chris, tell me, like, when you guys are talking about these deeply players, though, like, what are your expectation of these guys that you're talking about? I, I mentioned how, like, you guys have that strict rule, where, like, you only talk about players that are 20% rostered or lower. But, like, when you, are, you guys are touting these players, are you touting them? I know every player is different, but, like, in general, are you what kind of expectations do you have for these types of players? Are You hoping to get major breakouts out of these guys? Or, are you looking at guys that have talent without role? Are you just looking for guys that are? streamers possibly or filling in for injuries like what are you guys looking for when you're looking for players to talk about
3: every player is different like you said and every situation is different the type of player i'm looking for in september is wildly different than the type of player i'm looking for in april at the start of the year if i'm picking someone up it's because i think they can stay on my team for months maybe the whole year if i'm picking someone up in september it might be because i just need a few steals or a few saves or whatever When it comes to like breakouts, towns without a role, a filler, streamers, I think if you focus too much on any one of those things at the expense of the others, you're going to miss the boat on breakouts. So the most important thing for me is having a few easy to use tools that kind of cover everything. I basically have four websites that I go to every single time we're going to do an episode of In the Deep. And this is where I gather all of my starting points. It, it never ends there, but that's where I get my starting points. Like, these are the players that I want to look into further. And Mining the News by Jeff Zimmerman is fantastic. You, I know you guys use that. Jeff Zimmerman is just an absolute mensch. Like he, It's a nightmare trying to follow be, the beat writers for 30 different teams, and oh, he does yeah. it for us. It's just a, a completely invaluable... There's other things on Fangraphs too. Fangraphs is just fantastic. The roster resource is amazing. Like there so if you click on if you hover over roster resource it will show you all 30 teams. Most people just click on the team and they look at the team's depth chart, but underneath that there's six or seven more things that are all awesome. Like looking at the lineup tracker, that's became my new favorite thing to use for 2022. It's, the, it's just the best visual aid for seeing who's getting playing time, who's platooning, where they're hitting in the lineup. So just, just utilizing... Oh, and also Razzball's Player Raider, which lets you filter down between the last 30 days, last 15 days, whatever, depending on how big of a sample size you want, or just to see who's on a heater right now. Just having these tools in your toolbox means that you don't let any of those types of players slip through. You can see who's been hot the last two weeks. You can see who's gotten plate appearances in the last couple of weeks. You can see who's all of a sudden hitting lead off. Like two of my biggest wins from the last couple of years are like Jonathan India in 2021 and Lars Nupar second half 2022. And that's all because of using the lineup tracker to go, whoop, he's hitting lead off now. That's a big development. We need to pay attention to that. It's just having the right tools makes all the difference.
1: So you mentioned... You really focused on three and you mentioned at the beginning of your little ramble there that you use four. I'm going to go ahead and assume the fourth one, of course, are the picture list player pages that if don't mention that now, Nick will somehow find a way into this podcast and slap us all across the face.
3: Oh, that. So I mentioned like those are my starting points. Picture list player pages are where okay. I it's are the- no, Those are where I end up. After I okay. get my starting point, that's where you do the deeper research. That's mm. where all the good stuff is. I was going to
2: add that I agree with everything Chris said, but for me, as we talked about uh, more than once during the season, I am such a fan of hard contact percentage over hard hit percentage that I go straight to the pitcher list leaderboard and that's a category and I can sort by hard contact percentage Mm -hmm. and start looking for guys that have less plate appearances. Like they've just start just, came back from injury, just got their call up. But even though in limited plate appearances, they're showing up high on that list. When I'm sorted by hard contact percentage, I'm taking a dive into those players.
1: Kevin, when I talk about earlier that, especially earlier in the season, as Chris mentioned, like he's going to pick up players and for different reasons in April and March or April, and May, as you will, in September or even in August, how strict are you, and you talk about this, especially when it t- comes with stashing the, cl- the speculative closer, if you will, but how strict do you force yourself to be with those bench spots? And I'll go back to the NFBC platform and you only have those limited bench spots and no IL spots. How strict are you as far as mapping out how many positions or how many types of players you have on those bench spots so that you don't completely continue to churn over and over again throughout the course of the season.
2: Yeah, it's limited. Of course, I used to think that I could use two spots until I had to let one of them go due to injury. I, this last season, and I think I will continue. I have become much more likely to only have one stash now a speculative closer is a little different because he can still have value, still be in your lineup when he's not in the closer role. That can be a little different. But with hitters, especially the, if they're not getting the at bats yet, that I think they may be coming into, or a prospect, it's really it's really one spot because I have become more and more comfortable, or realizing I will, I am more comfortable if I have a couple of extra hitters on my bench for when we can make those lineup changes on Friday. If something happens earlier in the week, because there isn't a fab run on Thursday night, unfortunately.
1: Right. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. I'm sure <laughs> when fab should actually run. All right, I think that's really good to consider just knowing what, you know, to expect out of these deep, these deep league players, whether you're playing in an only league or you're playing in a 15 teamer or 20 teamer, or you just any and with really large bench spots or number of bench spots knowing what to expect out of these guys and how to re- how to be how to really hold yourself accountable when it comes to how do you use those roster spots throughout the course of the season and balancing the patience of picking up a guy like Spencer Strider early in the season even though he doesn't have the role even though he's not putting up the volume yet you can see the talent you can see what's going on and knowing and not doing what I did in my dynasty league and dropping him because you just use them as a streamer that one time and knowing when you can do that and when you can, it's just, it's an art form. It's really difficult to do. And I will just echo the fact that you really have to give yourself a lot of structure and hold yourself accountable to that throughout the course of the season, especially in the first half. Well, let's talk about some of those guys that kind of broke out in different ways. We alluded to earlier in the show is where we get to talk about actual players and what they have done and will possibly do. This coming year, we've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. We're going to hit on five different categories of players. And some of these are more rare than others. These are just taken from the 2022 season. But some of them happen pretty much every year. I feel like there is a Brandon Drury of every season or every other season. A guy is coming up in his 28, 29, 30 year season. Hasn't really done much. Hasn't been given the opportunity, whether it be because of injury or just lack of production, maybe even talent. Who knows? Or even the role that they were given in the ballpark that they're playing in. Whatever the reason is, there's usually somebody that kind of pops up in this role. Brandon Drury obviously jumped around after being traded out of Arizona, got DFA'd by the Blue Jays, got DFA'd by the Mets, signed minor league contracts with both those teams, didn't make it, signed a minor league contract with the Reds last year, Made it through. got an invitation to spring training, made the team. Ran with it in a very friendly ballpark and held his own in San Diego as well while playing multiple positions. So this is a guy who hasn't really been bad, per se, throughout his career. Had a couple couple double-digit home run seasons early on, but never really broke out. Obviously, 2022 is a different story. A lot of factors play into that who is going to be this year's Brandon Drury as we are f- still far away from opening day in 2023. A lot of signings could happen. A lot of DFAs could still happen. A lot of non tenders could still happen. And so just a little, Brandon was going, he was not drafted in a single draft champions league on the NFDC platform in the early drafts of between October and December of 2021. Now, fast forward to all the DCs that were drafted in March of 2022 just b- before the season there were 107 drafts he was drafted in exactly one of those drafts so only one, uh, and I didn't bother checking the drafts between February and January but let's just say one one manager drafted Brandon Drury and got all the benefits of him in that format in the draft champions format now fast forward to these early drafts there's been nine of them in October of 2022. And he has an ADP of 187. He's dropped it, obviously, in all nine. He is a free agent. We're not talking about Brandon Drew here. I want to know who you guys think could fill that role in 2023. Chris, I'm going to start with you as the guest of the show. Who kind of fits the bill here?
3: I'm going to go with a player who has historically been much, much better in real life than he has been in fantasy. He's he's a sabermetric darling for his whole career brandon belt and there have been many words written about brandon belt over the years about how underrated he was about how oracle park was killing his numbers how he can't stay on the field and all that was true to various extents and then the giants opened up their right field gates which improved the way the ball carried in that ballpark and then all of a sudden every giants hitter was performing at the top of their projections including brandon belt who hit 29 home runs in 97 games in 2021 and then this year happened and he completely, like, be, mainly because of injuries, he fell off a cliff again. He actually had his worst year ever as a starter. And how quickly people forget. Like, He went from th- basically 30 home runs in 400 plate appearances. Now he's being drafted in the 500s. If Brandon Belt winds up on a Cincinnati, on a Baltimore, both of which could sign him to be a DH... Or first baseman, depending on if, you, if Joey Votto can still field or not. I, Brandon Belt could put up 35 home runs and I would be surprised exactly zero. Like, I, I love Brandon Belt as a bounce back candidate. It's not exactly a late career breakout because he's been good before, but as far as like where he's being drafted, you would get
1: immense value there if he wound up in a good ballpark lineup scenario. Yeah, I mean, we got to remember Baltimore, obviously, with their fence change, has paid a little bit more neutral as of this year. It's only one season's worth of data. Left um, field. Yeah, that left field. So maybe it doesn't really affect it as much going forward. But yeah, you throw anybody in cores, you throw anybody in Cincinnati, everybody's eyes are going to pop a little bit more. Belt is obviously, especially if you've got any kind of power, and Belt has plenty of that. Belt is main crutch. Has been literally that he's been on crutches most of his career in some form or another. As I'm just going through page after page of all his IL stints, all his day to days, all his inactivity due to injury, I'm not even going to bother trying to list all those off. I think n- there's not a single like human being with a soul that wouldn't like to see Brain and Belt play <laughs> a full season and be healthy, especially after like. Self anointing him himself the close the closer the captain of that franchise after uh, after Buster Posey retired there anybody else fit the bill there for you Kevin
2: yeah and there's a lot of ifs that 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 need to happen uh, that's the whole my, point of this right yeah exactly <laughs> Jake Berger with the Chicago White Sox we know he has tremendous power and he has showed it in games and I know he's only 26 years old which probably isn't quite old enough for this category, but he will be 27 years old within the first couple of weeks of the 2023 season. It'll be his age 27 season. And he only has 225 career plate appearances at the major league level. But in those 225 plate appearances, nine home runs, like I said, we know about that power. We talked last week about Jose Abreu possibly not being back with the team. That'll open up a DH spot. Andrew Vaughn moving to first base probably we know about injury history with Juan Mancada, so the third base position which is his natural position and he does qualify at for 2023 he did start enough games there this season that he's not UT only but I see playing time coming Jake Berger's way he and he actually hits for a decent batting average in spite of strikeout rates over 30% And when I say over 30% in 183 plate appearances in 2022, it was just above 30%, which was great because that was more than a five percentage point drop in his strikeout rate from his limited number of plate appearances in 2021. So if that can continue to come down even a little more, that would be wonderful. But he's hit 250, 260 throughout his professional career, even with these strikeout rates. So- getting that to come down would be huge but the home runs will be there that we know as long as the plate appearances are there the home runs will be i think we're going to see those plate appearances in 2023
1: yeah i like the talent there i worry about the plate appearances only because the white sets have already come out and said that they expect eloy to move into a probably like a 75 percent dh role taking him out of the outfield and if Even if Vaughn moves to first base almost full time, that's still Eloy keeping him out of the outfield. He's going to mix in some DH time with Luis Robert so that he can stay healthy as well. I worry that unless they're forced to push Eloy back into the outfield, and I think the idea is that Oscar Colas could, or Colas could come out and uh, basically apply for the left field job to actually have some defense back there. So I do worry about how many DH spots there are going to be, but the White Sox have shown here the last couple of years, they're going to they find ways to put players into that DH spot and rotate guys in between different players that have come in, whether it's German Mercedes or Gavin Sheets or anybody else that, for that matter. Yeah. And all of these guys I, I have moved on think- to new opportunities. So, that who's right. to say that doesn't happen with Jake Berger as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the White Sox still want to get him at bats. This is the 11th overall draft pick just five years ago, still. So, yeah. And we've he got that is, going for him as well.
1: He's fully, he's going to be on the White Sox for a long time. He is arbitration eligible all the way through the 2028 season. So, he is really well controlled. And if they can, if the, at the very least, if they can showcase him and he can make those strides and he becomes a trade piece in in, in late July, then he could bring in quite a bit as long as he's showing those, uh, those steps forward. Guy I'm going to throw out here as this is the epitome of a flyer here, as we talked about, a lot of ifs, right? <laughs> a lot of ifs here. Chad Pinder is somebody that I'm, I literally focus on Chad Pinder every single year. Somebody that a lot of us in the industry have talked about Quite a bit, the Statcast darling. If you go to his Statcast page or his pitcher list player page, not so much of a darling from twenty from the twenty twenty two season, where he's gotten a good majority of his plate appearances. A lot of blue. It's a it's an ocean out there, a nice clear ocean, but an ocean nonetheless. So he didn't not he didn't quite put it together in his contract year this year. He still hasn't had a season due to both injuries and playing time constraints by the ace where he has had more than 379 plate appearances and that's what he just hit that last year 2022 over the course of the last two seasons if you're just looking at straight fantasy stats he hit is it 500 and about 600 or just shy of six or right around 600 plate appearances over the last two seasons and with that Came eighteen home runs, about s- almost seventy RBIs, and just about seventy runs as well. So, this is a guy. Who, if he is found, if he f- does goes the same kind of route as Brandon Drury, finds an opportunity where they're going to give him everyday playing time, so he can sign a one year contract and kind of prove himself that hey, just give I'll sign for a very low contract. Give me a minor league contract. Just give me an opportunity to play pretty much every day, and I can put the skills that I showed from a couple years ago into onto the field throughout the course of the season i can see i can see an op, a situation in which chad pinder moves into the conversation of being the week 4 fab pickup that we're all that we're all talking about due to the fact that he's going to have multi position eligibility if i'm not mistaken he played oh he pitched one game in 2022 so he's on his way to being eligible there as well He's just one of many players that found his way onto the mound last year. Looks like at least on the NFBC format, where you needed to have those twenty games, he's just going to have outfield eligibility to start. But he has he's been he's played all around the infield over the last couple years. He could find a way onto a team that wants to utilize him in different roles throughout the course of the twenty twenty three season and gain extra eligibility in that in in that way. He's only been drafted in three of the nine. Draft Champions drafts that have completed On the NFC BC format So this is literally a Round 45 through round 50 Pick that is He's going to sign somewhere He's going he's gonna to gain some kind of playing time And the opportunity for him to Find his way into everyday Playing time because he gets to choose Where he goes I think is something That needs to be considered all right, there's a couple guys that might find their way into a very late career breakout. Let's look into the guy who did not take very long to find his breakout, and that's Michael Harris II, getting called up by Atlanta, not playing a day in A. That seems to be more and more common, not so much an everyday occurrence, but it's happening more and more. We're seeing at least positional players move up from Double A to the majors on a whim. And so, Michael Harris drafted in just one of 52 draft champion drafts between October and December of 2021. And then fast forward to March of 2022, just before the season started, there were 107 of those drafts. He was drafted in three of those. Nobody kind of expected Michael Harris, myself included, to make that jump for Atlanta, based on the talent that they had in their farm system, the other players that they had just above him, at least as far as the length of tenure in their uh, in the different levels. But. Lo and behold, he did what he did, and now he's being drafted at an ADP of 30. Nine out of nine drafts, obviously, in these current drafts that we're seeing happen this month. I'm going to I'm gonna start this one off just because I think there's some low-hanging fruit I want to get out of the way, and that's Jordan Walker. The He's in the exact same situation as Michael Harris was. He's been playing double-A for St. Louis, mashing the ball. He's mashing the ball right now in Arizona Fall League. So, Kevin, you can go ahead and enjoy watching him do that on my behalf. And St. Louis has... The, the reason I'm sticking with Walker, even though he is changing positions, he's, he's third baseman by trade, playing in the corner outfield positions now, both in the Arizona Fall League and to finish out his double-A tenure last at the end of last season. He's going to get called up by St. Louis if there's an opportunity for them to give him everyday plate appearances. They did the same thing with Nolan Gorman. They said the same things about Lars Newbar. They said the same thing about Juan Yepez. They weren't going to call these guys up unless there was an opportunity for them to play every day. Now they called Norland Gorman up because there was an injury. And then as soon as that opportunity went away, they could send them back down, but obviously they brought them back up w- once that opportunity arise. So I, I do believe that's going to be more of an opportunity in the outfield for, for Jordan Walker to be that obvious call up for St. Louis. And if not him, then Mason wins is somebody I'm looking at to fill in that shortstop. Paul DeYoung De is in his final year of his contract, Obviously, you can put Edmund over there as a stopgap if you needed to. But Mason Wynn could very easily. He's going to have the range this guy is throwing. This has nothing to do with his offensive capabilities, but he's clocking his throws over to first base from the shortstop position over 100 miles per hour. Go find a highlight reel from the Futures game, and it's insane. And it, he's only been drafting two out of the nine drafts so far on the NFBC platform. Again, ADP is 734. You're going to get him at the very end of your drafts. I do believe he's somebody that could get called up without hitting AAA as well, especially if the opportunity arises in St. Louis. I'm going to save Kevin's for last because I do not like the name he put on this list. Chris, why don't you go with the the guys that you think could be this year's Michael Harris? sure
3: i so I, I actually i complained to adam when he gave me this <laughs> assignment like it's homework but he said fine we're going to discuss who might be the next michael harris there there is no next michael harris there shouldn't have even been a this <laughs> been michael, a michael harris <laughs> because like this never happens like no one no 21 year old skips levels and does better like this it just doesn't happen you don't skip from double a to I the can majors. think of
1: one but he's an obvious exception or <laughs> Tr- trout uh, Soto. <laughs> well, oh, Soto. Oh, yeah, no, f- uh, the future Hall of Famer, whatever. Uh,
3: I do think that if any relatively unheralded outfielder is going to go from the minors to the majors and suddenly become a top 50 pick next year, I think Harris, what is Harris like 30 right now, which is too high for my taste, but he's up there. I think they're going to come from the Brewers' farm system. I'm cheating a little bit here, by, but I'm increasing my odds by triple. Garrett Mitchell already saw some time in the majors, I don't like of the three, he's my least favorite because he's just experienced some major strikeout issues in the majors. And for a speed profile without too much power, a lot of K's is not really what you want. But there's also Joey Weimer and Sal Frelick. I think Sal Frelick is going to be the best player of the bunch, but he might be a better than in real life than fantasy kind of player. So the guy I'm looking at for this exercise is Joey Weimer. He's cut, He could turn into a Michael Harris-style five-category monster. The thing in his way would be the batting average. That's like the one thing that would need to take a step forward. He's coming off of a 21 home run, 31 steal campaign across double and triple A. And after scuffling in double A, he moved up to triple A and was really impressive. He walked a lot more, struck out a lot less. He just improved across the board when moving up a level. Very Michael Harris-esque. That's my guy for this. I think Joey Weimer could be a guy that takes off with the right opportunity.
1: Now, I'm about to pull up, and you stopped here, so I'm going to let you just take it from here. What does the situation in Milwaukee look like that where one, if not multiple of these guys, like you said, Mitchell's already been in the majors. He probably is on the opening day roster. But like, what opportunities do you see where these guys could crack into the lineup?
3: They have the kind of team that looks like it should have their outfield figured out by some combination of people, but through a combination of injuries and guys underperforming or just scuffling in their first experience, they just weren't able to lock down a solid outfield for the whole year. I loved Tyron Taylor coming into the season, and he did, I guess, an approximation of what I expected, but he did underwhelm me a, a little bit. Hunter Renfro is obviously great. Kristen Jelic obviously can still do things, even if it's not what we want him to be doing. But I do think that third outfield spot is going to be up for grabs. I I, like Tyron Taylor does not have that spot locked down. Garrett Mitchell struck out like 40% of the time. There is an opportunity there.
1: Yeah. If you go over to the roster resource, as Chris mentioned earlier, as of right now, and this is a page that is always in flux throughout the off season. As we talked to Jason about this earlier in the, in this season, but uh, yeah, they have Mitchell as a, the strong side of the platoon with Estre Ruiz taking the other side of that platoon there. I'm not sure if I see that per se, but they do complement each other as being very similar types of players, at least from the speed component.
3: But can I increase my odds even further and say that Ruiz could wind up being a massive fantasy asset there too? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really,
1: it's who wins the playing time. Yeah, so obviously something to keep an eye on, especially through spring training. The lot, all these guys are going to get invitations if they're not on the 40-man. That's the other thing to consider in this situation as well, though I don't believe Michael Harris was on the 40-man roster when he got the call, so Atlanta had to make some moves there as well. So that is becoming less and less of an obstacle for teams that want to bring in talented guys on their major league roster as well. You know, that There's an off-season trade there waiting to happen. There there's go. got to be. That's too many outfielders. So I'm going to keep a monitor on for sure. Kevin, go ahead and break my heart. Who do you think could, could move up faster than many probably expect?
2: Yeah, the, the as you both have said, this is highly unlikely anyway. What makes this even more unlikely is that the team he plays for is probably not going to be competing. And so they may not want to start a clock when he's not there to help them for a postseason run. But I could see Noel v. Marte now with Cincinnati performing well enough that it forces their hand. He's probably going to begin the season at double A. And if he is just tearing it up, I can see him skipping triple A as Michael Harris did. Kyle Farmer's going to be 33 years old this season. The thing that would he's been drafted in one out of nine draft champions leagues and in a 50 round draft and hold, I'm not drafting him either because as we said, this is highly unlikely. But I'm gonna keep my eye on his performance. But maybe they want to see how him and Jonathan India work together in the middle infield, start getting that rolling. If they're looking at trying to start competing in 2024, he's just a guy that could perform well enough to make this possible.
1: And one thing I think the reason why he got drafted in that one league is because he is playing in the Arizona Fall League as well. And a lot of people after having,
2: I was just looking at that. After having over 500 plate appearances this season, it's not that he needs more; it's that Cincinnati wants to see more and work with him. Yeah,
1: yep, yep. He did make a a team change, obviously in that Luis Castillo trade, as you mentioned. And I was just looking up to see how he's actually been doing down there. As some of these statistics that you see in the Arizona Fall League are going to be a little inflated on the hitter side because the pitchers that get sent down there are. Not good. Let's just throw it, say what it is. They're usually not that good, or at least there's not many of them that are. And so, especially, you're going to see probably elevated walk rates, a couple more homers from players that maybe you don't always expect homers from. He's not popping up on this first page, and I'm not going to spend time scrolling through out here. That makes for great radio. But something to consider the fact that he did, he is an Arizona Fall League, did not spend any time, I think, above did hit double A last year at the very end of the year. Did he get called up or did he finish in high A ball? He oh, finished in A. He did not touch double A ball yet. So yeah, yeah, I agree. He'll start in double A. With new teammate, Eli De La Cruz, who I think a lot of people might see as being the, the next up-and-coming star for the Cincinnati Reds. Though there's a the possibility that either one of those guys gets moved off a shortstop anyway and moved to third base. So we've got your entire infield set for years and years to come with India playing second base. I, the only reason I don't like this pick is, as I talked about off air, is I just traded Nuevo Marte away in my dynasty leg last year for a win now move that did not win now. So it did not really do the thing that it's supposed to do. So we'll see how that works out long term. Anyway, moving on away from my home dynasty league, let's talk about, oh, Spencer Strider, of course, as I mentioned, <laughs> dropped him in my home dynasty league. Spencer Strider, not to say he came out of nowhere. Plenty of talent, just did not have the role in 2020, going into the 2021 season. I think a lot of people still question whether or not he was going to be stretched out or if he was going to be able to put up the innings. Lo and behold, he did not put up the quote innings, but all, he put all the production Up that you could have hoped from somebody who did put up 200 innings without having to actually do it. So, getting drafted in one out of 52 drafts through the October December period of 2021, moved that up. Sorry, that's got drafted in a little bit more drafts than the other guys we've been talking about in early drafts. So, in October to December of 2021, he was drafted in 32 out of those 52 drafts, bumped that up to March of 2022. Drafted a 91 out of 107, so still not 100% success rate. He's still being left out there in many of these scenarios. But people starting to see the value of these relievers who can be inning eaters, who can stabilize your ratios. And lo and behold, Sensor Schrider did a lot more than that for them. Now he's going 37th overall in the first nine drafts completed on the NFBC platform. With all that being said, Kevin, I'll let you start this one off. Who feels that the guy who has all the talent, no set role, and you know what? None of that's going to be a problem.
2: Yeah, the as a name everybody knows, he's in probably everybody's top five pitching prospects. Some probably have him on top, and he has been drafted in all nine of the draft Champions leagues so far, but at an ADP of 550. Because he doesn't have that role, and I'm talking about Yuri Perez down in Miami. And when we, when you look at Miami's pitching staff, it doesn't appear that there's a spot for him right now. Now he's could very well, and I'm sure Marlins fans are hoping, end up being better than some of these guys. But you got Alcantara, you got Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lizardo, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers coming back from his injury and hopefully performing as he did in 2021, not 2022. That's not even bringing up Braxton Garrett. Max Meyer is going to miss the entire season. Presumably it was fairly late in the year when he had his Tommy John surgery. There's still big question marks about the injuries with Sixto Sanchez, but to start the season, I do not foresee Yuri Perez being in that starting rotation. And he will, but he has the talent to do. I think we will see him at some point and it may be like Spencer Strider. They may get value out of him using him in a relief role for a while until that spot opens up. But we know the talent is there.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what you're looking for. Somebody who think who's going to be able to make their way to the major league roster in any capacity. Right. In, in any kind of capacity, that's not going to be taking a zero at that at, in that roster spot, even if it is in a relief position, as he might start off in Miami's depth, obviously for rotation options, knows no bounds. It seems that year in and year out, they find two or three more guys that can come in and from their own system and kind of fill those roles. Hopefully they don't all continue to just get hurt one after one after another, but they will come back. So I like the Perez call out for sure. Somebody to keep an eye on, especially as you get closer and closer to draft season where, you know, how he doesn't spring training if he forces their hand in that way. I'm looking at Matt Davis in Chicago, the White Sox. He made 14 appearances last year in the majors, nine of them as starting off their games. And if you look at his line, his final line, it's not anything spectacular. 4.83 ERA, still with a a 4.28 FIP, so not that far off there. His K rate, dipped quite a bit moving from the minors to into the major leagues, finished off at 28.3% at triple a earlier throughout that year. He spent, he actually crossed three different levels throughout the course of the 2022 season. But what's got my attention here is just the fact that again, if I'm referencing Jeff Zimmerman's mining, the news, if I wasn't, I'd be doing myself a disservice as he pointed out. He's it's been note. It's been noted that he, that, Davis Martin has done enough for consideration for a rotation spot going into the 2023 season. So it's anytime I hear that, and especially somebody like Davis, if I'm looking at these draft and holds, if I'm doing an early draft, this is somebody who already played plenty of time in the major leagues. He should be on the major league roster to start the season and should get plenty of opportunity to actually be productive for me. Throughout the course of the season, and I got to take note of somebody who I think is going to rack up extra innings in any kind of capacity. And when you tell me that he's going to be a consideration for the rotation, when I already and it's not a prospect per se that like the choice is rotation or minor leagues. This is a this is a guy who's either going to be in the bullpen as a long reliever. Or he's going to be in the starting rotation and put up even extra innings. This is the type of guy where he's going right now, especially as we're seeing him in these early nine drafts. He's only been drafted seven out of those nine and his ADP is 665. So again, this is somebody you're going to get in the final 10. If you're really going to stretch for it, you could get to him in the 40th round, but you probably get him later on in the 45th, 46th round as you're getting closer and closer to the end of your 50, or 50 round draft and hold. Drafts. Is that like I Chris, you've got a guy here that I love the pick here. You but between your guy and Kevin Jury Perez, similarities you guys have there is that they don't have any they don't have experience in the major leagues yet. So it sounds it looks as though on paper that you guys are looking more at the possibility of production, the ceiling, if you will, as opposed to the kind of guaranteed is that is there a certain is there a different kind of format that you would be preferential to your or his your prez or the player you're about to talk about Kyle Harrison as opposed to my Davis Martin or is the guy like Davis Martin interest
3: you? So I went into this exercise thinking more Strider's skills than necessarily his opening day opportunity. So I was just looking for nuclear strikeouts with the potential to make the majors this year. And that that was Kyle Harrison for me. As for what leagues I would be targeting a player like Harrison in versus Davis, a, both Yuri Perez and Kyle Harrison should be universally rostered in dynasty leagues. And I'm sure they're both going to be popular picks in keeper leagues this year. They're absolutely going to be like towards the end of the draft picks because they can see the they're both I don't want to say likely, but there's a good chance that they both see the majors this year. I I wish I had pulled up this quote beforehand, but I do remember seeing the quote about Kyle Harrison probably seeing the majors this year. Uh, But yeah, that's the kind of leagues that I would be looking for him in. Definitely more keeper leagues. I don't know if I would wouldn't draft Kyle Harrison in redraft, but he is the kind of guy that if I heard midseason, if I heard Kyle Harrison was coming up, he'd be a guy that I snatched up immediately in any league. And like I said, it's all about the strikeouts. It's Strider-esque between two levels. Kyle Harrison started last year in high A. What do you think his strikeout rate was in high A, guys? 14. A nice round number of 20. 50%. Wait, how many innings? It was 29 innings. Okay. But he struck out 50% of the batters he saw in 29 innings. And then he went... To double A, and there he struck out 37.8% of the batters he saw. And so sorry, uh 36.4%. And then overall between the two levels, it was 37.8%, which is just a hair under where Spencer Strider was this past season. So with that quote that I faintly remember seeing that he might see the majors this year and those obscene strikeout rates. I'm keeping a very close eye on Kyle Harrison this year and I will not make the same mistake this year and not pick him up if even if he
1: is only a reliever to start the year. Yeah, Kyle Harrison named the San Francisco Giants prospect, organizational prospect of the year for this 2022 season as well. Yeah, when I saw you when I saw you update your list and put Kyle Harrison on there, I was very excited. I am very excited to see what kind of movement he makes. I also have vague recollection of the quote that you keep referencing that I do not know where it came from. So at least it's the rule that if two people make something up, it must be yeah. true. <laughs> um, and so it, it, that is absolutely true. That's going to happen. Opening day roster, book it. There you go. All right, guys, let's move back into a hitter. And this was uh, This player was put on this list specifically for Kevin as he requested it earlier in the week. Matt Carpenter did some amazing things. He came back to life. He was the undertaker. He was in the coffin. Then all of a sudden he stuck his head up and he body slammed his opponents, at least for a short period of time with the Yankees. Before then, he was then put back in the coffin and then did absolutely nothing in the playoffs as he was obviously still hurt. But anyway, Matt Carpenter is just that type of player in 2022 that left for dead Nobody, you just assume he he signed a minor league contract with the Texas Rangers, never broke camp, stayed in the minus minors, and then cut away from that from that, uh, from that situation signed with the Yankees and the rest is kind of history. And he was a major, a fab target of many when he finally did start producing pretty much hitting a home run every day for what, two weeks, Kevin, (laughs) that was pretty fun to watch. We're still on Matt Carpenter 30 home run season watch to this day. (laughs) Anyway, he was obviously not drafted in any of those early drafts. He's actually, he was drafted. In the March DCs, 28 out of 107 drafts last year in those late drafts. Now currently drafted in nine out of the nine drafts that have completed at an ADP of 396. So still readily available. He is a free agent. Not sure where he's going to go or what he's going to produce himself, but that's not who we're talking about. And no, you cannot pick Matt Carpenter 2023 as the next Matt Carpenter. You have to pick somebody else. And so- Chris, starting here with you, as you just finished off the last one, who's somebody you think that everybody's writing off completely? He hasn't done anything recently. You think he's going to come back to life and either going to be a should be picked higher than he is currently in drafts or is going to be a favorite fab pickup later on in the season.
3: So my guy here is Fran Reyes. Do you remember him? In my head... A year ago, this time, uh, Fran Mel Reyes was like the safest bet for 30 plus home runs in sure. baseball, like short of maybe like Pete Alonso, between his health and his just ridiculous power and ability to put the bat on the ball, even with that power. He even had a good, pretty good batting average for someone with such prodigious power. I loved Fran, I loved Franimal. And then he just went and absolutely laid an egg in 2022 yes. across two teams. He had 14 home runs and he put up an 80 WRC plus just gross stuff for someone who had such a great power hitting offensive profile coming into the year. He improved a little bit once he went from the Guardians to Chicago, but it really it was just like going from really bad to just generic bad. This is going to be his age 27 season. You don't often see someone completely lose their ability to hit at 26-27. Like these are his prime years. And the weird thing about it is like his batted ball distribution did not change that much he went oppo a little bit more but he still pulled the same number of balls though those oppo hits took away from hitting straight up the middle his ground ball he lost a few ticks on fly balls for ground balls but not like a dramatic number like it's really his it was his ability to hit fastballs that seemed to tank his year and i just can't imagine that is something that is going to be a career long thing because he was really good at hitting fastballs prior to this year so I'm banking on him figuring it out he was a really good hitter before I, I don't think pitchers just completely and utterly fit, figured him out and it's it's not recoverable so yeah I'm, I'm definitely
1: higher on him than his current like what like 380p yeah currently going at 312 has been drafted in all of the nine drafts on NFBC so far but I He's still in Chicago. He's still, when he was given the opportunity, especially at first, he was batting cleanup pretty much all the time for the Cubs. With that kind of power, I can't imagine that he's going to have to do a lot more to jump down in that lineup. So that opportunity is going to be there as well. So I like that call out there. My low hanging fruit here is Nelson Cruz. And I shouldn't even call him based on what we're seeing in early drafts. He's actually, he actually went. A whole draft without being drafted. He is not a free agent. His option was vested with the Nationals, so he is under contract for the 2023 season. Very well might be his last season. This is a guy who, no matter how old he got, no matter what where he went, he found a way to be drafted universally in any format and still put up the kind of production that's going to make him useful until this season. And a lot of that has come out as having some some eye issues, I believe. That's what it was. It just so happened that those came about right as his slump started. And so that's either very convenient narrative or something that actually bothered him for the majority of the season. That being said, still under contract for a fairly poor team that will have no choice but to play him on a regular basis. I can see him coming back through the offseason, getting through all the things that ailed him and just coming back and being useful. And granted, he's going to have just the UT tag. You're only going to be able to play him in that one position if he is able to come back anywhere close to his useful self and play, and you're able to play him. The amount that you played Matt Carpenter last year, somebody worth grabbing in the, the, final, the final two rounds of your draft if he's still in there in those 50 rounders. The other name I'll just throw out there, won't talk a lot about him, is just Trevor Rosenthal. He's literally the left for dead candidate here. Did not play. At all last season got signed by two different teams, just not to be played at the it's a major league level. And as we're talking about earlier in the podcast, Miami looking for one of those experienced closers, or at least somebody with experience, Trevin Rosenthal kind of fits that bill pretty Pretty tightly. Kevin, I know Rosenthal's been a favorite of yours to bring up in multiple occasions. Do you see Rosenthal kind of making that kind of comeback, or do you think the experience he had with San Francisco and Milwaukee this past year is a is has been enough?
2: He's done this before. He had several opportunities when he came back from Tommy John surgery before finding success again with the Kansas City Royals and then being traded to San Diego to finish that season. So if it's health and it's just him getting healthy and getting his command back, which was the issue three seasons ago, he's been through this before and I can see it happening again. The flip side of that is he may not want to go through that again. (laughs) Uh, We just don't know the players when we get in their head. And I listed a guy here that's a possibility for Miami. He's going much earlier in drafts, but still barely inside the top 300 that's our oldest Chapman. We're going to see him somewhere. And it could be with one of these teams that are looking for an established closer. My other, my hitter, he's, this might be cheating a little bit. He's, it was due to injury. He, if he hadn't missed the entire second half of 2022, Adam Duvall would probably be being drafted much higher than the 550 ADP that he is at right now he has been drafted in each of the nine drafts and it but 34 years old a free agent coming off a wrist surgery people are forgetting about him a little bit here I think he's the type of player that the, the worry would be he ends up on the short side of a platoon if he goes to a team with a really good already has a good lineup but I think that's the worst case scenario. So he would still have some, although limited value, even if that were the case. And if he finds himself in the middle of a decent lineup where they need a guy to play every day with his power, then you strike gold at draft pick after 500.
1: Yeah, go back to Chapman. Chapman is from Miami, so I'm told. So there's that. Craig Misch did mention that that never works out though. Guys who live in Miami don't usually perform well when they play in Miami. I not I won't say why. I don't know why, but uh, it's just knowing the lay of the land probably keeps them a little bit more distracted. But yes, Chapman will land somewhere. And uh, depending on who's willing to give him the opportunity to close, there's a reason why he's being drafted at 297 currently ADP. I like to Duvall because we've been through this with Duvall before, right? Like after leaving Cincinnati, he was already left for dead. He wasn't drafted in many scenarios, came back with Atlanta plenty of power numbers that made him more than useful in just about any, every format. And so this is an old hat for uh, for Adam Duvall. So I think that's a good call out there. And at 550, regardless at the price point that most people are going to be able to afford. All right. Last category here. Of course, we got us, we talked alluded to a lot of closer situations. So we're going to talk about a closer here to finish it off. Ryan Helsley, in St. Louis, he had no set role at the start of the season. A lot of people in the industry loved the Gallegos pick there. Obviously, it didn't work out. Ryan Helsley finds his way into a situation where he was able to put up the second most value for a relief pitcher, at least according to the Rasball Player Rater. Not drafted in the October through December 2021 DC drafts, March 22 drafts. Out of 107, he was only drafted in 23 of them. So this really focuses onto something, Kevin, you and I have talked talking about it quite a bit in the value of these relievers, regardless of what their role is. He really should have been drafted in more, more scenarios with that in mind, even if he didn't have a role or didn't have a direct role to where you could see him getting into a closer situation. That being said, he is now has an ADP of 85 in the first nine drafts across the NFBC, so Looking at a guy who doesn't have a set role, you can you can squint and you could see an opportunity where he can. But really, it comes down to what he's done in the past and what what kind of talent he brings to the field. And I'm going to start this one off with just by throwing out the name Chris Martin, somebody we talked about at the end of last season in the Dodgers bullpen. Obviously, Kimble is not an option there any further. Blake Trinan is a free agent, and I think a lot of na- a lot of eyeballs go. To Evan Phillips as being the heir apparent to the closer role there. But I am jumping on that bandwagon that says, I don't think that the Dodgers want Phillips to be the closer. And they proved that at the end of last year where he really didn't get any opportunities when they pulled Kimbrell from the role who did and that is Chris Martin. He got two saves in the last four or five weeks of the season and they were sporadic. I'll give you that, but he's done it. He's had some opportunities in the past and in previous life. And so I think if they do not go outside and if the Dodgers close their position for 2023 is not an outside hire, then this could be a situation where they keep Chris Martin, who is still arbitration eligible for one more season and give him that opportunity to run with that. So Chris Martin be somebody that I'm targeting because even if he doesn't get that role, he's still going to pitch plenty of innings in that bullpen and be somebody I think that they rely on and somebody I'd be able to rely on to fill in those gaps where I need to, especially in those draft and hold situations. Kevin, who, who fills the role for you?
2: Yeah, I'm rolling with a guy here that we talked about a couple times through the season as the guy not getting the saves, but getting us good ratios, and that's Dylan Coleman in Kansas City. He has a problem with the walk rate, over 12% on the season. In spite of that walk rate, he still had an ERA under three in 68 innings pitched with just over a strikeout per inning, 71 strikeouts in those 68 innings, much like Helsley. We don't think he's going to be the closer right now. We thought Gallegos had the job in St. Louis. We know that Scott Barlow has had the job for a while in Kansas City, but Coleman's a guy that's got the talent for whether it's an offseason move, one of the guys goes to another team, injury, many different things can happen between now and next season. If, Scott, if for any reason Scott Barlow has moved out of the closer role in Kansas City and Coleman is still on the team, I think he's the guy.
1: Yeah, and as you said, somebody that's going to help you, not just not hurt you, but he's going to help you being on your roster, whether or not he ends up moving into that role or not. Chris, you made a change here. You had a name on here before that I was expecting to talk about, but talk to me about the new name you threw on here.
3: The name that I originally had on there was Andres Munoz until I looked at his ADP. That happened to me a lot in this process because all of the guys that leap to mind for these prompts were made total sense to me. And then I looked at ADPs and I'm like, oh, it also made total sense to all of these (laughs) experts who are drafting in mid-October. So I had to make a little bit of a (laughs) pivot.
1: Yeah, a lot lot of reverse
3: (laughs) courses here. So Tanner Houck is the guy I'm going with. I mentioned him already. Like I said, I think that the correct air quotes closer candidate for the Sox next year already exists in their bullpen somewhere and that they shouldn't dedicate a lot of free agent dollars to it. But yeah, this same thing could go for Schreiber or oh God, Whitlock, depending on how the rolls break down. But Hauk upped his Ks as a reliever. He lowered his walk rate. He did all the things that you would hope that a starter would do when transitioning from the rotation to the bullpen. He has two very good pitches, which is plenty for a reliever to work with. He has a little bit of a platoon struggle as a side arming. He has struggles with lefties a little bit. But I cannot shake – this should make me not like him, but I cannot shake – there was a time in the year where he appeared to have the closer job on lock, and then they traveled to Toronto, and he wasn't vaccinated, and they just didn't let him close much after that. And I, can, I can't shake that. I feel if they gave him the opportunity, and if he didn't get in his own way, that he could run with it. But that's, that's up to him and uh, him and his team.
1: You're right. That's exactly that was the exact timing of that run where he was getting picked up quite a bit where he was available. And then all of a sudden he was and he had the little NA symbol in most formats for about four days. For the record, the reason I wanted to pick Andres Munoz
3: here was because what you had sent me was finds a way to be the second most valuable relief pitcher in baseball. And I think Andres Munoz has that
1: potential like Easily. I think he's a mini Edwin Diaz. Yeah, I like the Muno- I liked the Munoz pick when I saw him on there. In our PL mock draft, I did I grab I drafted Paul Seawald and did not want to do that because I have very little faith in the fact that he will either have and or keep that closer job based on not because Paul Seawald is a bad pitcher, but I just believe that Seattle doesn't necessarily want him to be in that role. Um, right. And Munoz, they traded for Munoz. If people forget, from and Houston to be that position, and they gave him a contract. Exactly. So, like, I, I,
3: I think, like, they've worked wonders with Seawald. But I do think that Munoz is just basically going to be unstoppable in his march towards that role. Eventually, he will claim it at some point.
1: Yeah, traded in the Kendall Graveman trade, if I'm not mistaken. So they traded their actual closer for. Munoz, who should end up being their closer. Guys, there's a lot of players to consider. I really appreciate everybody talking, taking the time to break down really deep options in many of these scenarios. A lot of dart throws, a lot of names to keep in mind as we get through the offseason. But with all those names in mind and everything we talked about, Kevin, is there anything else worth talking our listeners through as they jump into drafts, as they consider doing drafts, as they continue to just enjoy the offseason?
2: Yeah, just a reminder, if somebody burned you, that doesn't mean you have to avoid them. Uh, the perfect example is somebody we were already talking about in this show. I had Fran Mel Reyes on a lot of my teams last season, and I know you did as well, Adam, because uh, I, when I was in drafts with you, either <laughs> you drafted him or I had to draft him a round or two earlier than I was drafting him in other drafts to get him.
1: I wasn't uh, going to say anything he, about it. So Yeah, th- <laughs> but he's
2: he's going 10 to 12 rounds later. And as Chris said, for the most part, the underlying stuff looks okay. He really started to come along in July and August, and we would talk about it. We were excited. We're putting him back in our lineups. And then, excuse me, he had a horrible September, October after he'd had nine home runs in that couple months. Well, that's almost on his 30 home run pace for the season. Fell back off a cliff right at the end. But, yeah, you can't just completely avoid a guy like this. If he's being drafted in the same spot we were drafting him last year, sure, avoid him. But if he's going 10 to 12 rounds later, you know, it's difficult, but uh, you don't want to just let other people have him for that reduced cost.
1: Yeah, I think the one negative on him this year is he will go into the season at least on the NFBC platform with UT only eligibility. He had 15 games in the outfield last year, so in in your Yahoo's of the world, well, didn't you know,
2: he start that way last season, or was that two did. years ago?
1: He he gained it, but he only needed you only need 10 games in right, season right. to you gain gained it in season. Yeah, but you need at least in the NFBC platform, you need 20 to keep it right, for the right. following season. He didn't quite get there, so there's always a possibility the Cubs play him for 10 games. He just needs 10 appearances. Move but if you're him. on Yahoo, if you're uh, on Yahoo, an
2: arbitration guy, I don't, are they going to pay him?
1: That's a good, that's a good question. Who's to say he yeah. stays in Chicago. We'll see if he gets non-tenured as well. He could be a very easy target for the Cubs to shave off any kind of payroll concerns they might have in that area. Chris, thanks man so much for getting the rust, rust off with us as you get behind the mic. Give everybody a reminder of where they can listen to you, how they can listen to you, and anything else you might be working on in the offseason.
3: Yeah, the podcast is In the Deep Fantasy Baseball. We're just like all the other Pitcherless Podcast Network podcasts. We are everywhere. Every, whatever your platform of choice, go ahead, throw us a subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at Schwebzy, S-H-W-E-B-S-I, and follow my co-host. Or actually don't, because he's he hit 1,000. And I haven't hit a thousand yet, so follow me, not him. But if you do want to follow him, he's at Bunt Singles, which is not a dating service like it sounds. And the podcast account is at In the
1: Deep PL. All right. So the links for all of those, except for Jordan, will be in the show notes here. Jordan will get a he'll get a link when he comes back on the show. He's been on the show a couple of times. Go back and find an old episode. You'll find a link to his his. Twitter. You guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode 83 of On The Wire. We'll be back weekly every Sunday throughout the off season, maybe some bonus content in there as well as we get closer and closer to 100 episodes. Kevin on track to hit that in February, I think. So we're we'll, uh, looking forward to that milestone. Please make sure to subscribe, share and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at on the wire pod, especially if you're looking to join one of our listener leagues for the 2023 season, there are still a couple seats left in the first November draft. So get on it. You can sign up for multiple leagues as well, or just pick the one that works best for you, but get that, get your reserve seats in now. Like to once again thank all, thank our guest Chris Weber for joining us. He should be followed as he said on the Twitter at Schwebzy. and he can be heard on the In the Deep podcast right here on the Picture List Podcast Network. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.